Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be picking up the text in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This actually picks up where we left off in our previous episode with the same thing. We're looking at the purpose of the gospel, trying to understand that. And we saw in verse 15 that the gospel could be distilled into one saying. This saying is trustworthy and full of, uh, of worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, right? And we said that there were three aspects to that saying, that the gospel is reliable, the gospel, uh, we looked at the actual content of the gospel saying, and then we looked at the personal appropriation of the gospel saying. But now we want to continue this idea of the purpose of the gospel. Not only can it be distilled into that one saying, but now as we move on to verse 16, we see that the gospel purpose points to the Savior, not to man. The purpose of the gospel points to the Savior, not to man. Paul says here in verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I'm not sure if we'll get on to that, uh, past that. If we do, then we'll read verse 17 in just a moment. All right, so the gospel purpose or the purpose of the gospel points to the Savior, not to man. In the first part of verse 16, we then could say this, that a proper understanding of the gospel, understanding of the gospel brings, uh, begins with mercy, okay? So it, it begins with mercy. The great Puritan preacher, Jonathan Edwards, once said that the only thing you contributed to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Our position in salvation is a humble one. We are recipients at best, and enemies at worst. When Paul says here, verse 16, I received, this is a humble statement which ties into his previous statement of being the chief of sinners. It isn't, I got better, or I stopped doing this, or I realized I needed to change. To say I received is to acknowledge that thing which was received was unattainable. Think about it this way, and hopefully this isn't a tired cliche here, but when we illustrate salvation, sometimes we'll picture somebody drowning, right? If you're drowning, that means you have no ability to save yourself. You are out of strength. You're out of breath. You're going under the water. If someone reaches out an arm or throws a life preserver, you did nothing uh, to receive that. Okay. You can't do anything or, or let's say you passed out and, you know, let's make it a little bit better because say if you're still floundering and drowning and they, they throw out their hand or their life preserver, you can grab onto it. No, uh, let's picture the person who is now passed out, swallowed a little too much water. There's still hope to resuscitate, but you're now beyond the point of even responding to anything. 
and then then somebody throws out that life preserver or at this point they dive into the water and get you and pull you out you received salvation you did nothing to make it possible uh you you know except being out there in the water necessitating salvation uh, but you didn't contribute anything to your salvation this verb receive really conveys that idea and that's really important okay because a lot of people when they speak about salvation they use phrases they may not say i got better or i stopped doing this but i've heard some people talk about that but I have heard a lot of people say something like, I realized I needed to change and I decided to follow Jesus and I did this. No, no, no. Salvation, if your eyes were open to the need of salvation, then that's part of the mercy, right? That's part of the gift of salvation is that your eyes are open. I mean, remember back to Ephesians In Ephesians 2, you're spiritually dead. A dead person cannot respond. A dead person cannot decide that they're going to do something. You have no ability as a spiritual corpse to respond to God except that God gives you the ability to respond. So when Paul makes the statement in verse 15 that he's the foremost of sinners, but this adversative conjunction here, uh, speaking to the polar opposite, I received mercy. While he's in a state of enmity as a great sinner against God, he is not in a position to do anything except receive a gift. And that's exactly what is conveyed here. To further clarify and say, I received mercy, right? I received, says that he has no ability, but now we give the object of that, I received mercy, now explicitly brings another side into play. Being a recipient also does that, but to receive mercy acknowledges that the one who dispensed said mercy is in a position of authority to grant it. So for Paul to make this statement and say, I received mercy, is to actually acknowledge that God who gave that mercy is in a position to dispense something other than mercy. Well, what should come instead of mercy? Mercy is the withholding of that which we deserve. What do we deserve? Our sin necessitates eternal judgment, right? Our sin necessitates the wrath of God. And God alone, not another man, but God alone can pour out that wrath. So to say that he received mercy is to say, I recognize that I was in the path of the wrath of God. And that he had the ability to do that. And he chose not to dispense that wrath, but rather to give mercy. So this would be akin to you walking into a fine china store where there's a sign that reads, you break it, you buy it, right? And then you bump into a piece of china, you knock it to the floor, it shatters into a thousand pieces. And then I came into the store with you. So after I see you knock it to the floor and it shatters into a thousand pieces, I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. No big deal. You don't need to pay for it. Now, on the one hand, that is could seem like mercy. But on the other hand, I'm not the store owner. So I don't have the authority to dispense said mercy. If you follow that train of thought, that only comes from the store owner. So I could make a declaration about your responsibility to 
make restitution, but I'm not in a position to actually back that up. Only the owner of the store can do that. Same with mercy that comes with the dealing of sin, okay? And I hope that makes sense. Furthermore, focusing on mercy over against grace, uh, grace focuses on what, uh, mercy focuses on what was deserved rather than what was given. If you want to adopt an attitude of proper humility, then dwell on mercy before grace. They're both true, but if you ignore mercy, grace will not be as sweet. Mercy suggests not only an authority over us, who is none other than Jesus Christ himself, the creator of heaven and earth, but also that we have somehow violated his holiness. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 7 that we are at enmity with God. Psalm 7 verse 11 says that God feels indignation every day in the ESV, or as the King James puts it, is angry with the wicked every day. The scriptures speak of the great and awesome or terrible day of the Lord, Joel 2 verse 31. Romans 1.18 states that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, we, we need to focus a little bit more on the nuances of, of mercy and what it means. And that's very, very important. Again, John 3, 36, I think we mentioned this in a previous episode. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but what? The wrath of God remains on him. As enemies of God in the gospel, we are standing in the path of God's wrath. The salvation of sinners removes them from a just punishment of eternal wrath first and foremost, but we must never forget that. Okay, so a proper understanding of the gospel begins with mercy, but then we understand as well a second aspect to this, as the gospel purpose points to a savior, not to a man, that a proper understanding of the gospel recognizes the true actor. Go back to verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, here it is, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. A proper understanding of the gospel recognizes the true actor. The recipient stands with his hands open. Okay, He just is receiving it. He does nothing except receive the gift. The actor is the one who dispenses the mercy and the one who gives grace, the gifter of the grace, if you will. Who is that? Well, very clearly here, it is Jesus Christ. Okay, he has the authority to judge. He has the authority to withhold the due penalty for our sins. Remember Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We rightly take people to Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And then we go right to Revelation 20.15, and that depicts the great white throne judgment. That's the judgment that's in view in Hebrews 9.27. And why do we do that? Because this is the path that everyone is on. We need to do that. We need to take them down that path. The only way to stop our advance down that path is by a divine act of mercy and the only person who can do that. That's why we, we use as an adjective for act, a divine act. We are not divine. No person can take you off that path. Only Jesus can, because he is truly God and truly man. 
So the actor here, the dispenser of mercy and the gifter of grace, is Jesus Christ. Now, what is the motivation for Jesus to do this? Right? The recipient stands with his hands open. The actor, the dispenser of mercy and the gifter of grace, is Jesus. Why does he do this? Okay, I receive mercy for this reason, that it, as in that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example, okay? But the motivation is the display of patience or a display of perfect patience, as the text says, okay? So we're talking about perfect patience. When we think of God's anger and wrath, we are too often tempted to delineate it in human terms of boiling over passions that are uncontrolled. Not so with God. His wrath and his anger are perfect. So we're talking about really a work of art here or a display, something that is on display for all to see. The audience is the saved, right? So whenever we see him doing this and working this work of salvation, it is a work of art. It is on display that he might put out before all, display his perfect patience. So every time we see salvation, we see it as an incredible work of art. Think about the text uh, that we see often in the book of Acts, those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The particular masterpiece before the church is the Apostle Paul, put on display here as a work, a masterpiece of God's perfect patience. Look at what an enemy he was. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He murdered people. He was insolent. He was radically changed. God didn't strike him dead with a bolt of lightning, but was patient. And we don't have that kind of patience. We may be patient to a degree, but we do not have the patience of God. His patience is perfect. We talk about long-suffering, and he is patient beyond what we are, which is why when we ask, you know, where is the promise of his coming? Think to what people say who mock the idea that Jesus is coming back to earth because it's been 2,000 years. Look, it's been so long. He's not coming back. Well, he, he is, but he's long-suffering towards them that will believe, right? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His patience is perfect, and his patience is displayed when he saves people from the you know, the, the trenches, uh, the gutter of humanity and depravity, which he does often. I mean, we're all there in one sense, utter depravity. Sin leaves us absolutely horribly marred, dead, and, you know, on the path towards judgment. But some people are especially, uh, you know, abhorrent in their behavior. And Paul was. Not everybody is a murderer. We might be in our heart, but not everybody actually... Uh, displays that outwardly, but Paul did, and yet God's mercy and his grace can touch somebody like Paul. So let me just make this personal. God has been infinitely patient with you and with me. We didn't deserve it. What does your portrait in the gallery of heaven look like? Have you allowed God to work in you? It's a question that we all should be asking. All right, so that's where we're going to end it today, verse 16, looking at the general purpose that points to the Savior, not to a man. A proper understanding of the gospel begins with mercy, and secondly, a proper understanding of the gospel recognizes the true actor. 
And that will leave room for discussion uh, of verse 17 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.